Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. We spent this past week out at Mount Bachelor in Bend, Oregon, and we showed up in time to catch a storm cycle that was depositing more than 50 inches of new snow on the mountain. I was in Bend with Blister reviewers Cy Whitling, David Steele, and Andrew Forward, and we recorded a podcast from the place we were staying all week, Wall Street Suites in downtown Bend. It's the second time we've stayed at Wall Street Suites, and you should check it out at wallstreetsuitesbend.com or check out our write-up on Wall Street that is linked to the show notes of this podcast episode and in the photo trip report we published from our time at Bachelor. In this conversation, you'll hear a pretty exciting announcement about a special edition Blister Pro that's about to be released. You'll learn a lot more about Andrew Forward and David Steele, two of our newer reviewers who both happen to be really interesting people. And you'll hear a funny and rather painful anecdote about a ski touring mission that Cy and David undertook together last spring. And finally, you'll also hear us sing the praises once again of Ben's Super Burrito, because one can never sing its praises enough. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Breckenridge Distillery. Breckenridge Distillery is located right in the middle of Breckenridge, Colorado, one of the most popular ski towns in North America. The distillery sits at 9,600 feet above sea level, making it also the highest distillery in the country, and they have just opened their new restaurant next to the distillery, which makes for a perfect après ski stop. So go to BreckenridgeDistillery.com to check out all their libations and to learn more about the new restaurant and check out the menu. Or better yet, stop by the distillery, take one of their complimentary tours, then go eat some great food. Now let's get to the conversation with David Steele, Andrew Forward, and Cy Whitling. Hey everybody. Uh, Greetings from Bend, Oregon, where uh, we are out here with a little crew um, skiing Mount Bachelor this week. And so we figured we would do uh, a podcast um, from uh, the confines of the place we are staying, Wall Street Suites, uh, here in Bend. And we have here uh, with us the esteemed Cy Whitling, who you know from previous Blister podcasts. What number is this for you? This might be the big three. Three, nice. Um, And then we have David Steele making his first Blister podcast appearance. We're all extremely excited about that. I've got my party hat on. (laughs) He does. Um... And then we're also thrilled to have the the better forward brother, um, Andrew Forward. Some of you uh, know Paul, Andrew's brother, because he's made... Has Paul been on one or two? Maybe only one. Just one. So you're already tied up with Paul. Um, but uh, we have Andrew Forward here. Um, he is uh, the snowboarder on this trip. And, and voice of reason. And voice of reason. Um, and honestly, we you know we like him better than Paul. We've been running kind of a we've been a being the two, and Paul, you're losing. So no, just kidding. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, well, good to have all of you here. And so first thing is, turns out it's been pretty good at Bachelor. <laughs> um, 
I think what was it? The the claim was in the last week they've had about around fifty inches or so. It and, feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then today it like it snowed I guess most of yesterday well, Bluebird started Bluebird, like Bluebird Pow Day, and then just started snowing and then today snowed all day long. Um and um tomorrow's gonna be good too. So we we managed to catch it catch it catch it well. Um and Andrew and David, this is Cy and I were were out at Bachelor last April, but you guys, this is your first time here, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David, what do you think of Bachelor? Today was great. I mean, everything's soft. You can jump off of pretty much anything, and it's not going to hurt when you land. Um, it's really cool how long. It's really cool how long the runs are too. Just you have these being able to kind of circle around the mountain and then skiing over past Outback and over to Northwest, you sort of expect that you're going to reach the bottom of the lift about two-thirds sooner than you <laughs> actually do. Yeah. So you're like down at the bottom kind of expecting to run into a cat track and you don't. Yeah. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going, which is a neat feeling to have. Yeah, Andrew, we did that like a ton yesterday. We yeah. just kept like, okay, this must be the time where like cat's about to show up and... We were never right about that. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of like, it's just long-ass jib laps. I mean, it's kind of what it's what it seems like, and certainly when it's this sort of soft and deep. Um, pretty good. Your first time here? Yeah, that was great. Endless features, you know, just going across the cat track, going in the trees, hit a feature here, go down, see another one, just endless fun. Good soft snow. Yeah, Andrew won the award today for sending it, <laughs> sending it <laughs> uh, to the scooch deep. zone. Oh. Yeah, not a good place to scooch, but I guess deep snow is good snow. The Big Air Dave landing area. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Just watching that tree come around. <clears throat> Luckily, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's kind of started like, oh my god, this is awesome. He's go. He went huge, and then it was like, don't land in the tree. Don't hit the tree. <laughs> But uh, you uh, you didn't. So yeah, it felt good. Just hold the grab and maintain composure and <laughs> watch the lane go by. Nice. Um, if you were gonna hit the tree, would you have kept holding the grab? <laughs> Styly, yeah. yeah. You gotta go out, right? As a photographer, I really appreciate that, and that's why you're better than Paul. Yes. <laughs> Paul would have. Paul would have quit on the grab. Well, being a doctor he is, hopefully, can patch me up afterwards. <laughs> no, we do miss Paul. Um, he's off saving lives, uh, somewhere in some remote island, somewhere of Alaska, I guess. But, so here's to you, Paul. We've been making a lot of fun of you well, in, in your absence. Well, you're not here to defend yourself, but yeah, we miss you. Um, so we figured since these are, David and Andrew are two kind of newer, I guess, newer members of the, 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 the Blister team. Um, and two pretty interesting guys, it turns out. Um, <clears throat> we figured we'd talk to you guys a little bit, um, since there's still some questions, that some things I don't know um, uh, about you guys. So, um, But before we get there, Cy Whitling. Um, kind of a cool announcement. Um, some of you know that uh, the, the Blister Pro... Um, that 
uh, well, we, we did a graphic for that and that ski is out. And a lot of you have been sending pictures in, uh, of that ski. Thank you for those. And it's cool to see those out in the wild. Um, but we actually have coming out a Cy Whitling version of the Blister Pro. Um, and this is pretty cool. And so, Cy, how, when did this come about? How did this come about? What what can you say about this? When when will this when will this unveiling happen? Um, the unveiling will happen sometime in the next few weeks, um, and the ski should be available. Uh, sometime in January, um, depending on a lot of things. But yeah, we'll have an article with the top sheet and a little bit of the backstory up soon. Cool. And well, for just a little bit of the backstory, I guess, so Sai has, um, well, first of all, we should say like, if you haven't, if you want to see more of Sai's work, what's your Instagram? At Sai Whitling. At Sai Whitling. Um, and you can see a lot of his stuff and it's quite good and fun. And so a while ago I had asked Sai to do kind of a Sai style, uh, drawing with, with the blister logo on it. And we had that up, um, on, you can still see it on, uh, on our Facebook pictures or something. And, um, Luke Jacobson at moment saw that and was like, man, we should do, a side whittling top sheet on the blister pro. And so that's kind of how this got going. And, um, Cy, Cy killed it, killed it with the, uh, with the, with the graphic. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll unveil that soon, but we're, we're pretty psyched about it. We think you'll like it. So, we like it. Yeah. Good job, Cy. Thank you. <laughs> um, who should we talk to next, David or Andrew? You get to pick. Andrew. Andrew, All right. the better forward. <laughs> All right, what's your story? You Were you born in Alaska? I wasn't. I was actually born in Virginia and moved when I was just old enough to fly. Spent my whole life in Alaska. When you were old enough to fly? Yeah. Like fly planes or get on a plane? Fly like, planes, of course. Like fledge out of the nest. He just said it straight to an AK. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep, a little flat rate box straight up here. Yeah. No, um, I spent uh, you know, my youth up in Eagle River. Yeah. And youth in Eagle River. And so where did you grow up skiing? Uh, mostly around the front range of Anchorage. Uh, around Eagle River, there's plenty of opportunity. My parents' backyard backs right up to a little saddle called Mile High, and there's endless possibilities up there. Real close, good after-school missions. Um, Arctic Valley is the closest resort. That's kind of where I started to like ride and lift and get a feel for riding alpine. Mm-hmm. Did you start skiing? I skied when I was little, and I lost my skis, and I remember just the disgraceful walk down to go <laughs> get them, and I realized never again. <laughs> so you thought... <laughs> you couldn't handle the disgrace of of two planks. You no. thought snowboarding would lead to less embarrassing, shameful walks. That was the rationale. <laughs> did, you know, it just felt more natural. Started okay. with the uh, you know riding toboggan down the hill beside our house and having a good time. That transgressed to a plastic snowboard. Next thing you know, clicking bindings. Let's get to go. <laughs> How did Paul feel about your transition to snowboarding? Both my brothers were skiers, so, you know, couldn't really take them seriously. (laughs) 
Wait, just kidding. Two? <laughs> two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my little brother, Ernest, uh, telemarker. I'm just learning about Ernest. Oh, yeah. Ceramic artist. Younger? Middle brother. One year younger than Paul. Okay, middle. Awesome. We got three of them. I gotta get Ernest on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not done. The missing link. Yeah. Huh? Telemarking cer- ceramist. We say. Yep. That's it. Th- okay. Ceramicist. Ceramicist. <laughs> yeah. Ceramicist. Kind of retired the the telemarking to uh, preserve his hands for the ceramics game. Ah. Yeah, telemarking is really hard on your hands. Huh. Okay. There's three of you. Hmm. But yeah, they're always pushing me to go outside and do stuff and literally pushing me in the snow quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> being nice to brothers. Okay. And so these days, you're, are you currently living in Girdwood? Yep. Just okay. moved there this, uh, this fall. Okay. And where's Ernest? Ernest is in Red Lodge, Montana. Okay. I knew this. That's right. I did know this. I've had this conversation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's all coming back now. And Paul is, well, Paul's currently in, he's on a little island somewhere, He's probably right? in Cosby right now, just a little bit north of Nome. I don't know what those words, what was it, Cosby? Cosby? a little tiny village up yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Small town up there. Yeah. Um, but he'll be in Girdwood. Yep, he's a Girdwood resident. Yeah. That's where his house is. This is nice. You guys are like, it's all coming back together. Yeah. You know, he has a nice hot tub I can poach. You didn't hear that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> We should all move to Girdwood. You should. He comes back and just finds us all in the hot tub. <laughs> so, and you got kind of an interesting, you got kind of an interesting situation. You have been working as a geologist, right? Correct. Um, and this job affords you lots and lots of riding time in the winter, right? Fortunately so, for yep. the moment. I don't know how long this will last, but. So what's the setup? What do you, what, what do you do? How does um, this work? Exploration geologist. Every uh, May or June, go out to some remote camp, do some helicopter access work, a lot of backpacking in the woods, a lot of alone time to think about the winter and, you know, get the head straight. <laughs> and then you get to just, then you're just free, like from when to when? What's the program been? Yeah, it depends on the year. I just recently graduated last spring, so I'm still trying to figure this out. But last year I worked until about October, and then took from October until about May off, and spent some time in the mountains and really logged some days and quality hours. <laughs> I, yeah. Over that I, time, I spent probably about eight weeks camped in a parking lot in Valdez with a couple of buddies, and no snow machines, no problem. Bought some skins, some verts, and had some great times. Huh. This sounds pretty good. That's yeah, not bad. I'm gonna enjoy it while I can. Yeah. Okay. Are you are you doing like specific sampling with the geology? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, overall mapping. We'll collect uh, soil of rocks, do traverses, soil grids, mm-hmm. and then kind of come back and collaborate with everybody and mm-hmm. figure out the zone. Are those mining claims that other people are maintaining that you're going out to check on? Is that part of um, how that works out? Kind of. Some is just uh, evaluative work, you know? Yeah, okay. But there's also, yep, some uh, assessment work on those claims. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, overall, it's a great job. Keeps my winters open and free. Yeah. It sounds... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> find the rocks when they're 20 feet under the snow. <laughs> <laughs> True. That is a plus side. Sai, are you asleep? No. Okay. Sai's <laughs> tired. I'm already just giving my spiel. Sai's... <laughs> t- He's getting ready. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, all right, David. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, so I was born and grew up in Kalispell, Montana, which is about 75 miles south of the Canadian border, pretty close to Whitefish. And uh, my family spent some time in Colorado when I was young. And then we moved back, and in sixth grade, I still remember my mom telling me that for Christmas we were getting season passes to Blacktail, which was the local small resort with all of four chairlifts, if you count the the rope tail, uh, or the carrot toe, I guess. But that's kind of like when things really kicked off for me, because we'd done some skiing here and there before, but then it just turned into this sort of all-consuming, wanting to go up and do that all the time type of thing and then we started jumping off of things and my dad was trying to figure out like what he was going to do to help support that because he didn't know very much about jumping off of things on skis <laughs> so uh, I ended up on a on the big mountain freestyle team at uh, Whitefish Mountain what is now Whitefish Mountain Resort hmm. and spent the next four years on that we did a bunch of competitive bump skiing there which eventually I kind of left but I still love moguls so I don't think I knew that. Yeah, so that was like that's the ba- that's my background. Mm-hmm. I can tell you with that spread eagle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that's local tricks are never going to go out of style. I don't think. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's like the background, and then somewhere in there, we ended up, you know, just ended up in the terrain park and skiing a bunch of that type of stuff. And at the same time, um, I spent a lot of time out in the you know in the summer we were going up peaks in Glacier National Park that was something I did as a kid with my family and then once I started working in the National Park at a backcountry hotel in college it was we were kind of combining the same things together you know we were taking the ice axes that we'd had for wandering around before but going out and skiing things and so it's like skiing kind of entered the equation in the same place and then it kind of combined and somewhere in I think it was, I don't know, I guess I had Dukes, like, 2009, 2010, maybe, but once, like, once 2012 showed up, it was, like, full-on, and touring has sort of consumed my winters since then. Mm-hmm. 2012. Yeah, like, 2012 was, like, when I first got Tech Bindings, and it was, like, this is on, this is, like, what I want to go and do with myself in the winters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you call it adventuring? No. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's mostly just walking around in the woods or in the alpine with skis on. Except your walks tend to be quite long. <laughs> <laughs> should we talk about this? We probably should. Have we? Have, I mean, I don't know how much... We, I, we have, I, think si, not... I think Sai should recount... Yes. At least, at least, I, I'm actually really Good. curious to hear Sai tell this story, so... Yeah, maybe maybe the backstory to this is, yeah. uh, not this past spring, but the spring before, I I had a chunk of time off from all the things I was doing, and I ended up in the Pacific Northwest for something like three ish weeks, um, and I was sort of bopping around, doing some rock climbing here and there, and hanging out with people here and there. But my big sort of focus was just to go and ski a bunch of the volcanoes that I hadn't been on before, and. The, and amongst all of that, I'd been curious about Mount Olympus out on the Olympic Peninsula and really wanted to go out there, and it didn't really come together. 
I'd done some research, but there wasn't a whole lot of information about skiing it. Um, and so this spring, we kept, we started looking for a weather window to try and do it, and then Cy was coming out here to Bachelor. And incidentally, while David was bopping around in his volcanoes two springs ago, I was trying out frame bindings for the first time in Teton Pass during spring break, and then came home and bopped around a few of the same volcanoes a couple weeks after he did in a much less efficient and experienced fashion, <laughs> um, mostly in Carhartt's, <laughs> and that was the full sum of my touring experience up to that point, and then for some reason, when David wanted to go get Mount Olympus, he was kind enough to text me. <laughs> kind <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay. I, I just don't know, I mean, Yeah. No, you should continue with the story. I think I think it'd just be clear why why we were the ones that ended up going. Yeah. Um, well, I spent that spring touring in camo duck hunting pants I got from the thrift store. <laughs> David showed me around Glacier National Park for three days. Um, I think I wore a shirt for about like two and a half hours of that time. <laughs> um, skied some of the steeper and bigger stuff in my life like that, and s- somehow saying badly enough Taylor Swift that David wanted to go do Mount Olympus with me, which I still am boggled by. Yeah. As is everyone that's ever toured with me. <laughs> I mean, his tone's off a little bit, but he knows the words, and that's really what's most important. <laughs> the words get you through it. Yeah, totally. Um, but so we kind of had this idea to go and try and ski on Mount Olympus, and the biggest the biggest kicker about Mount Olympus is that it's kind of it's in the middle of nowhere. So... The way it typically gets climbed is that people will go, they will hike in, in, you know, July or August, something like that, sometimes late June, depending on the year. Um, but it's a 17 and a half mile approach just to get to the place where most people camp, um, as sort of a base camp area. And you go, I don't know, you go up what, like 3000 feet getting there. Yeah. And all of that's in the last, like five miles if yeah. that yeah so you, you, it's this really long walk in along the ho river which is gorgeous and the trees are absolutely massive i mean it, it, i've never seen trees that big outside of the redwoods groves that i've been to in california um but so you know like these trees will come down and then you have to walk a quarter mile out of your way on the trail just to get around the things because they've caused so much destruction because they're just, they're just huge um, but so you walk along the river and then go in and that just gets you to the kind of the, the spot up below the glacier. And the funniest part is that on the approach, you really don't even see the glacier. You don't really see where you're going. Like you have no idea. So you, and the cloud deck was kind of low for us. So on day one, we had this, just, we woke up, it was raining. We got all of our stuff together and walk, you know, did this long slog of a walk in just through moss. Like, no mountains. No how, how long of a walk? Uh, so, yeah, I guess we did 17. Yeah, that's 17 yeah. and a half the first day. And, but we got there, you know, and we we barely, I had no idea when we were going to put on skis. I had no idea, like, exactly what the conditions were going to be like. And the weather window that had looked really good for three days had just started to shrink in that nasty way that forecasts do. Um so we so anyways we went for it and we got to camp and it it was kind of drizzly right it was drizzly David taught me crevasse rescue at camp <laughs> 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 yeah but you picked it up really quick 
yeah, hauled him out of a couple tree wells. And yeah, that was easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we kind of figured that out. And then the plan was to get up relatively early in the next morning and, and try to figure out where we were going to go from there. And I don't think we got quite as early a start as we wanted. No, right? got a late start. And what is that? What time? Ish. Oh, I don't know. We probably got up at like 5.30 or 6 and should have gotten up earlier. It was like a legitimately comfortable start. Yeah. But the stove wasn't working. The stove was, was broken. Was, no, wait a minute. No, it wasn't the stove. It was the SteriPen that wouldn't go, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So anyways, the SteriPen didn't work. I had no idea what the water situation was, so we ended up boiling a bunch of stuff. Um, and then just sort of rushing out of camp with less water than we would have wanted. Yeah, and I forgot a water... I I brought a one-liter bottle, which was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) For, uh, well, three days, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so the, the, the funny thing is, is we were able to skin out of camp, and you go across this ravine, and if you've been up there before, the you kind of have to do this big traverse across the Blue Glacier... Um, to even get to that zone, if you if you saw Monumental this year, you've probably seen some of the footage from that area. Um, and so I put up a great a great trip report that's got some photos too on the blister site. But so you you kind of have to go over these large things that are both like part moraine and part cliff to even get down to the glacier. And you know we were antsy, so we kind of went straight up and and went through a series of notches where you'd like peek up on the thing kind of get out of your skis, scramble down a little ways, realize you couldn't make it to the glacier, come back up. And the whole time, you know, we're like burning daylight and we're running a little late and we're not even, you know, we're not even roped up on the glacier. And the the other kicker about Olympus is that it's not just a, it's not like a proper ski mountaineering objective because you can't ski off the top unless it's a really, really, really giant winter. The upper section has, like, I think most people call it like a 5-2 like five, four-ish rock climbing section that's not very long but is relatively exposed and would be bad if you fall off. So not only do you have in your pack as you're doing that long approach your kit for skiing, you know, you have your glacier travel stuff as well, but you have, like, in the bottom of my backpack was a really light rock climbing rack as well. So you have, like, these different kits of stuff and it all just sort of builds on builds and builds on itself. Um but in the back of our, my mind, as we're like trying to get over this moraine, we were thinking about just like, you know, we have to cross the glacier and then get up there and then get to the base of the thing and then rope up and it's probably going to be like somewhat mixed because there's still snow and ice on it. And how are we going to handle that? And then the rappel's off and then getting back down. Um, and we finally, you know, it, I think it was like, like our third try getting up on yeah, the ridge. Yeah, got clipped out three times. Yeah. Finally got down to the glacier, right. <laughs> roped up. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of when the sun hit us, right? Like yeah. When we were going across the glacier. Um, but yeah, so we crossed the glacier and made it up the other side. And you kind of go up this zone. There's actually, there's like a, that was, there was like a shack down on like a, that yeah. panic point, right? So there's, and you, it's crazy. You're up on the sort of, the blue glacier sits in the valley and then you get on this upper glacial plateau. And you're finally like, oh, there's a mountain here. Yeah, like you, can, you can actually see where you're going. <laughs> but we got up onto that plateau, and we are looking down past that shack, and we were starting to get puffy clouds that were all dropping in elevation around us. And I didn't have ski crampons. Yeah, and we also had, it was early enough in the season, because when did, when did we go? Was it like May? Yeah, it was right before the first time we came to Bachelor. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, but and so we we also had some fresh snow that was kind of, that was a little unconsolidated, and we weren't sure exactly what the you know what the wind had done to that. And then on top of that, we had less daylight, and we still had all the rope work to do. I was mumbling incomprehensible Taylor Swift lyrics under my breath, bonking really hard, literally being dragged at the end of the glacier rope. You were being dragged. You were you were like bringing it along. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like we had all these things that just weren't you know, and I think yeah, you know, and and it was it was an interesting kind of moment because I remember thinking about all these things separately and identifying them all separately, but went and we just listed them too. Like I remember like listing them out loud and just being like, this is a problem and this is a problem and this is a problem. And just listing all of it, I was like, we don't really have a choice. Like if we get stuck up here and especially if we get fogged in, because yeah. you know, you've done a you've traversed across a glacier and gone up another section of thing. And they, if you can't, we hadn't wanted that. So if, if we had, you know, if we'd gotten completely whited out up there, it would have been unbelievable trying to get off. Um, so we turned around and skied down. And then we roped up to ski the glacier again. And I give you huge credit for that because skiing roped up is super hard. And we did it really well going across that. Like we had no issues whatsoever skiing pizza. across the glacier. Just pizza. <laughs> we were not pizza. We were going fast, man. That's true. <laughs> did you lead that? I think you led it. Yeah, right? I led some of that. Yeah, so it was like Sai was out in front of me, and we're basically, you know, trying. The glacier's warming up, so it's getting <clears> softer. And I remember basically just going almost straight across the glacier with the whole rope out between us. <laughs> and like every time it started to sag, I'd pizza a little bit, and you're just like hauling along on the other end. <laughs> that was a good and time. It, it worked out really well. Wow. Um, and we should have, we should have gotten back to camp, but just stopped. Yeah, right. that would that would have been the better. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what, so what'd you do? Uh, well, the next morning, I was supposed to pick up Jonathan at the airport at one. Oh, that's right. And Sorry we still that. had seventeen and a half miles between <laughs> me, seventeen and a half miles, and a five-hour drive between me and the airport. In Portland, right? In Portland. Yeah. That's because we were coming to Bachelor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So but, instead of stopping in camp and recovering. Which would have been the smart choice. We sucked it up. And, and walked downhill crying for hours. <laughs> so went out, uh, went 17.5 back out. No, we went like 8 uh, back down to a meadow. Yeah, and we went and camped in this meadow. and With the, a bunch of people who were enjoying their time in the Ho Rainforest, walking around with light backpacking stuff, without skis, not going up to the glacier. <laughs> we also... We, the tent we brought didn't have a floor. And it was raining. And it was raining. So, And it had been raining. So the grass we camped on made everything super condensed in the tent. So it was like a sauna in there. And then uh, there's some photo of Sai eating, like, what was it, raspberry crumble? Raspberry crumble. There's a family on the raspberry crumble. And I'd like to get to know some of the people on that on that family. <laughs> in that family. On the raspberry crumble package. So, so Yeah, back up a little bit. This is the freeze-dried raspberry crumble. Okay. And you know, there's like some happy family in the in the the product photo, and you're there. just like we just wish we were. Well, I think the girl had a really nice backpack or something, and the, <laughs> and the guy had like two pairs of white socks on. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's the weirdest thing I've ever said on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. But anyways, so yeah, we had that night, and like it rained on us there, and I think I had my heavy sleeping bag, and of course it was down, you know. 
in the valley. So I was sweating super hard and it was wet in the tent and just like, and then the next day on the walk out, we, we got up relatively early and went to go like get out of there to pick Jonathan up at the airport. Right. But we got like what, like, and your back had been like, your pack was just not working. Right. No. Yeah. I was using a day pack with all of the things you need for this trip in it. It's a bad call. Was this your first time doing a trip like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where did this Where did this trip rank for you, David? In the In the scheme of it the, was hard. Yeah, it was hard. I, I think I, for me, what was so cool about it is that I, I I legitimately tried to find information before I talked to people at the ranger station. I yeah. talked to people at mountaineering shops in Seattle. I talked to friends that you know that guide on Olympus. And nobody had good info for us. There was there was like nothing about where the snow line was. I mean, even the rangers were like, "You should tell us." Um, yeah, they're like, <laughs> we were like, "How much deadfall is there?" Yeah. They're like, "Uh, let us know." <laughs> yeah. So like, so that aspect of it was really cool for me. Yeah. You know, it's, it was kind of like, let's you know, let's use the skill sets we have and our ability to go out and just kind of see how things work, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that part of it to me was super cool because um, we. You know, it's neat to go out there. It's neat to try something that you're not totally sure about. And and I feel like we had good margins of safety and everything in what we had, you know, in terms of, like, our abilities and being able to get back out if we needed to. I mean, maybe you would have had to sit to, sit at the airport for a while. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but like, the, the cool thing for me, too, is that, you know, we got up there and we got close and we turned around. You know what I mean? And yeah. I know people that are like, oh, you should aren't you bothered by that? Like, don't you like really want to go back and get that? And I'm, and honestly, I'm really happy that we turned around and I'm, I'm like really happy that we honored our, our ability as a group and like listened to what was going on. You know what I mean? Cause who knows what would have happened if we right. decided to press on with it, but we, we got out and we've got this silly story about this trip we went on. And I, I don't think I'm going to take skis back there again. I think yeah. I'll probably go in July. Like, I will be going back with snowblades. Like, that is actually decided. Well, I guess I'm going back. Um. <laughs> I'm, glad we could, I'm glad we could determine this today. Are you going to climb the rock section in your snowblades? Yeah. Yeah, good. Good. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad you turned around, because I might still be at that airport. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for getting out of there. Um so and we I know a bit about this, um, but so Glacier, right? I mean, you've got a you've got a kind of interesting relationship with Glacier National Park, right? Like you've sure. you've spent a a good bit of time slash kind of a lot of time mm-hmm. around Glacier, right? Right. Um, did that did that line up with 2012 when you started doing more? touring um or had you been getting into glacier a bunch prior to that yeah i think you know glacier as a national park sees something like 2.6 million people visit it annually at this point um and a lot of people that are visiting are on this you know are on the road corridors but that's still it's a huge you know it's one of the more busy national parks in the entirety of the system and if you're just visiting the park, you see certain things and you have certain experiences. But if it's in your backyard, it beca- it takes on this whole other sort of level of significance. And 
growing up, that was sort of where we went to play. I mean, we're we're really lucky in Kalispell. Not only do we have Glacier, but we have a string of not one, not two, not three, but four large wilderness areas to the south, the Great Bear, the Bob Marshall, the Scapegoat, and the Mission Mountain Wildernesses, which essentially encompass from basically Kalispell and that area all the way to Missoula. Um, so, and I guess the rattlesnake would be in there as well. So there's this huge amount of, of public land in that area. And I think that, you know, going out to those places and doing, doing hikes with family or going up onto easy summits with family when I was a kid, that was sort of the start. And then once I started working in the park in college, that was like when I really spent a ton of time there and kind of really fell in love with it on my own terms. And then adding skiing, which was something I developed on lifts in bounds to what we were able to do out in the park and being able to see this entirely new side of it. Cause in the, you know, we would see it in the spring or in the summer when we were up there, but very rarely had we been going, you know, had I been there in the winter, like a proper winter. Um, and you take this place that sees this huge amount of visitation and has a road through the dead heart of it over at 6,500 foot pass. And in the winter, you know, it's just the goats and the wolverines wandering around out there and you and maybe, you know, your friends. So that's like, that's a super special thing to have that in your backyard. Um, and the other piece of it too is that when people think skiing and ski touring and ski mountaineering, that overall the, the popular spots kind of skip in Montana from the area around Bozeman. There's a little bit in Missoula, but people don't real really reconnect with like thinking about the mountains until they get to Canada. And so we're sort of this, what you might call, it's a kind of a forgotten area, but it's not really forgotten because people didn't even know about it to begin with. Um, so there's this really neat community of, of very connected ski people that are ski touring and ski mountaineering in the Kalispell whitefish area. Um, you know, it's just kind of this tight cadre of, 50, 60 people that probably do 90 95% of the interesting, you know, the interesting committing stuff out there. And if you don't know that, you know, like everybody knows each other, there's none of this like sort of secrecy about objectives. People are like, Oh, it'd be great to see X go down. Um, it'd be great to see somebody go and do this. And a lot of times, you know, somebody will be trying to put it together and the conditions don't come together. And then maybe somewhere in later in the winter, somebody else, you know, has the same idea and goes and does it. And there's none of this sort of rivalry or bitterness about it, which I think is somewhat unique to our area, um, given how competitive some other places are and, you know, the way people feel kind of possessive of their area. I think we get, we have that sort of as a community, but not within our community, if that makes sense. But really, you should. I mean, Salt Lake City or Denver are definitely better places to be. <laughs> <laughs> Teton Pass, definitely. Yeah, Teton Pass is really good too. Some of the better moguls I've ever skinned for. <laughs> nice. Um, I realized I forgot to ask you something, Andrew. Yeah. <clears throat> First of all, what's it called? Kite. Running, flying, you're <laughs> really Speed flying. Speed flying, okay. Speed flying is when you foot launch. Speed riding is when you have skis or split board in my case. And you okay, slow down. Talk slower. Okay, speed, it's exciting. 
<laughs> I'm excited. Speed riding is when. Did, am I right so far? Or did yeah, I already yeah. mess? Speed, speed riding is, is using a mini wing, which is like a mini paraglider, and you launch with skis, and it enables you to fly and touch down and take off again. Okay, and when you have no skis or a split board on your feet, you just have shoes, apparently. That's yep. called... Speed flying. Speed flying. Okay. It's like paragliding under a mini wing or a speed wing. Okay. When did you get into this? Last spring in Thompson Pass, uh, I was camped out with a couple buddies, and uh, a couple of my friends introduced me early on in turning and pass, and first sled, I was hooked. It's totally terrified, totally gripped, but it was really cool, and it's like playing a video game. You know, it's like, I don't know, I the mean, snowboarding I, video games where you launch off a cliff and you just never touch down, and you just uh, keep spinning, and yeah, it's good. Huh. But yeah, uh, Thompson Pass, uh, the instructor came down, and he was trying to start up a course down there. His name's uh, Justin Bohr, head of Freeborn Air Sports, and one of the swing dealers. And he literally dropped off this kite to my tent in the Thompson Pass parking lot at Loveland. Wow. And from there, I did a five-day course, and instantly loved it. So... When do you do this? Is this a spring thing, or is this dead of winter thing? Doesn't matter. Dead of winter is good. There's no thermals to speak of, and the air is dead and cool. And that cold air has like a you know it's a uh, better density, and there's crisp controls as opposed to the summertime when things feel a little bit laggy. So it's a really great learning environment. And you know you don't want to fall, of course, but the snow is definitely a little bit better option than rocks and trees. <laughs> Sai, did you, were you dabbling in this for a minute, or uh, I what's was, your deal? The day before my first flight, um, my roommate, who was also the guy who was going to teach me, broke his back <laughs> oh. doing it um, while I was driving shuttle for him, so he is not yet finished teaching me enough, and he might not ever teach me enough to have me get under one of those, but wow. we'll find out. Well, it's one of those things, like, I'm not one to do formal classes except for uh, like avalanche classes, of course, but to learn proper protocol is really, really good, especially in an event like that. <laughs> yes. Or you'll break your back. That was but, my takeaway. Yeah. Well, accidents do happen, and they're usually catastrophic. <laughs> they might not be. <laughs> well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> to learn more about... <laughs> it's yeah. a thin margin, man. Did you, Have you done any canopy sports before that? Like, I've like, uh, not. Nope. Yeah. That was the first introduction. I've never even heard the term canopy sports, so thanks for that. Yeah, parachutes, paragliders, speed wings. I just canopy sports. I think of zip lines in Costa Rica, but I guess that's <laughs> where's the canopy? <laughs> that's the whole canopy. Yeah, but that's, so that'd be like the tree canopy. We're talking about nylon canopies. Okay, different. <laughs> Nylon's a little more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like <laughs> sounds like it. Okay, so where are you? I mean. Are you into which one is it? You're a speed runner. Speed can I just call you a kite runner? Is that not? You can, you can call me that. Sure. Right. I like kite running. Look, sure the kite right. runner. Yeah, the that kite book, runner. Yeah, yep. yeah. The kite runner. Um, is this competing with like snowboarding as a passion, or are we still like where are you at? Snowboarding, splitboarding is definitely uh, it's a different animal, but. As far as getting the adrenaline rush, nothing will compare to speed flying, or at least that I've experienced. Wow. The first flight when I landed, I just 
don't know. I knew snowboarding was a little bit dead to me. <laughs> wow. Wow. It was crazy. Would you say that you feel about kite running the way Arnold Schwarzenegger feels about pumping iron? Pretty much. Wow. For that last video? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Sai just shared. You can look it up, but we'll just leave it or at not. that. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> wow. And we should say, like, you spend, you, split boarding is what we should be talking about. You spend the vast majority of your time, if you're on a board, you are touring. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to pick up a split board when I was a sophomore in high school. My middle brother was at REI Attic, and he picked me up a, uh, I think it was a 172 Valet Mojo. And being about <laughs> five foot, I learned how to ride fast and kind of go straight. Longer than my first pair of skis. It's pretty conducive to the uh, treeless alpine around our house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's primitive split board. They've really come a long ways. I've struggled to find a board that's been soft enough, and that thing was like riding a piece of steel. <laughs> it was scary. Wow. What are you riding on this trip? You're what? Are, you're you're reviewing this trip. I have a, a Jones hovercraft, yeah. which has been really fun in the powder, and I'm currently trying out the Rosignol One Magtech. That's right. Which took a little bit of time to get used to, but I was having a great time today. Cool. I think we were all having a pretty great time today. Yeah. yeah. We both struggled a little bit yesterday, kind of. Yep. In that <clears throat> weird snow condition. But and getting getting used to new new equipment. Yeah, for me it was just the centered stance with a twin tail yeah. or twin tip, where I was used to riding a directional snowboard. So you, when you were a sophomore and you were five feet tall, you were riding well, a one. Yeah. A little more than five foot, I would imagine, but... You were riding a 172, and now you're on, what, like... I ride a 163, 161. Okay, dialing it back. Yep. Okay. Okay. But, you know, because... That's... <laughs> <laughs> just, Hank Sertis. Well, what's cool to me, though, I mean, you didn't... So it sounds like you had the, the hill nearby, right? But yep. primarily, you almost started in the backcountry, right? I did, well, yeah. Like, and that was... So just hiking up the hill... Mm-hmm. behind your house, and that was, like, how it all started for you. A lot of hiking, and then uh, my parents were fortunate to take me to Alyeska as a yeah, kid. Yeah, okay. We spent the weekends down there, maybe one day, or, yeah, one day a week, maybe a couple times a month. Sure. And that really drove the passion. Yeah. And another uh, critical moment was sixth grade. I did a freestyle camp at yeah, Alyeska yeah. in the summertime, yeah. and really got me hooked. Yeah. Who have you spent more time out in the mountains with Ernest or Paul? Um, Ernest has been busy for the most part, and Paul's been fortunate or kind enough to take me out and show me around. It's been really good to pick his brain and yeah. have him tell me what not to do and what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. really, I can't ask for a better uh, role model as far as that goes. I feel a little bad that we were making fun of Paul. I do too. Because Paul, I've be- never posted your hot take, by the way. It's <laughs> been like, on my mind. While we were making fun of Paul, he literally texted me. It was like, quote, Stoked you guys are still getting the pow. Keep up the good work. Nice photos. So I really feel like a jerk, but thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Um, uh, but yeah, so backcountry, kind of backcountry first. I guess that's maybe more what happens when you grow up in Alaska. Yeah, you know, there's a, we have two main mountains near us. Arctic Valley is the closest to our house, and that's between Eagle River and Anchorage. And it was a really nice place to learn to go up. Uh, you could volunteer and then get a free lift ticket. And then I volunteered ski patrolling up there for a year when I was a senior in high school and really got me on the mountain a lot. 
kind of drove home that passion of being in the mountains. But ultimately, it wasn't what I wanted. I like to kind of just go out there with a good group of friends, you know, build that com camaraderie and really explore a lot of Alaska. Well, not really much of Alaska. <laughs> based off of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a tiny portion of Alaska. More than many people. It feels yeah. like a lot. Yeah. But in the grand scheme, tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um. So what are you doing in the summer? Well, you're working in the summer. So, are, like, are you riding bikes? Are you climbing? Do you yeah, recently, uh, in about, I think it was 2012, I bought my first full suspension bike. And that's how I get my speed addiction. <laughs> okay. And now speed flying. Speed flying. Or kite riding, as some of us prefer to the sport. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. No big deal. You guys should think about rebranding, though. Kite running would be huge. <laughs> I'm the wrong person to talk to you. Okay. Uh, it's probably already called kite running. There's probably, you know, I mean, they've you got the X Alps, like the X Alps, right? That's the uh, Red Bull race where they go across a big section of the Alps where they, like, you're running and hiking and then going and then flying from place to place. Launching right? paragliders and yeah. battling inclement weather. It's pretty it's early. early. Yeah. yeah so kite running is already a thing, it's just a different thing. That's way cooler than yeah. it sounds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what about you, David? Your your other stuff. So we talked about. Well, we talked about the painful sort of Olympia <laughs> glacier trip. But what are you doing when you're not when you're not skiing? Uh, so this last year uh, in 2015, I kind of really fell hard for rock climbing. Um, not in a literal way, but uh, <laughs> which is why you're here. Which is why I'm here. Um, but I, I think it, it kind of transformed from something that I enjoyed doing and done casually here and there into something I wanted to do a ton of. Um, and I think part, at least for me, it was because I, when you're up there climbing, you get a lot of the same focus and sort of um, kind of exclusion from everything else that's going on in your life that that I get when I'm skiing. So that that was something that really kind of kicked on for me. And then I had a buddy who um, runs off-site stuff for a summer camp ask me if I wanted to fill in for four days of rock climbing guiding for them. And so I, I did it, and I felt like I really wanted to, I, I really enjoyed the experience. I thought it was great to be able to teach and to share a little bit about that. But I, it wasn't something I'd done professionally and so this year I spent some time doing the AMGA single pitch instructor course before the summer and then guided about eight, nine weeks of this summer up at Stone Hill, which is kind of near the Canadian border, um, and then went back and finished the exam mm -hmm. this fall. Um, and ended up on a couple of climbing trips in the process, too. We, we did one that kind of went down into, into Washington, down to Smith Rock, and then I was lucky enough to go to Red Rocks. Um, outside of Vegas for a bit so that kind of has, have bec has become a big like a really big summer thing for me and it's fun because it's hard you know what I mean like skiing like relative to where I am as a skier I'm way below that ability wise as a climber and so it's fun for me to be up there and to be scared and to have to solve problems and there's I mean I, I would compare I would compare trad climbing to backcountry skiing in that it's a very involved process where you take a lot of responsibility onto yourself to know what's going on and to be able to handle situations when they arise. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just kind of have to stuff fear down in your gullet and go. Um, so, and, and also just as becoming a more complete mountain person too, you know what I mean? If you, 
if you want to be able to to travel efficiently in the mountains, knowing how to place protection well opens up so much more. So this winter, and this winter I'm trying to kind of fill in the ice component of that. I don't want to become some crazy ice climber, but I just want to be able to kind of handle the basics of it to fill out that part of the ma- that mountain skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's the rock climbing stuff that I do in the summer and then in the winters. I also work as an inbound ski coach and then a backcountry ski guide for Ridge Mountain Academy, which is a gap year program um, based in Whitefish. And essentially the whole idea is training mountain sports. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we do a lot of, a lot of skiing and snowboarding for the kids inbounds, but then we also give them an Abbey level one and a wilderness first aid. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a mountain studies course, which is a combination of geology, um, weather forecasting, snow water hydrology, that type of stuff that all sort of rolls that together. Um, and then they also learn to function, train, eat as athletes. Um, so, and it's really cool because, you know, it's got these 18 year olds coming in fresh out of high school, or maybe they've done a year at college and it wasn't quite for them and they needed a chance to refocus. Mm -hmm. So it essentially, we're teaching them a lot of the skills that we learned by trial and error, or we went out and did something stupid in the backcountry, and we're like, Oh, that's weird. I'm buried up to my waist in a terrain trap. I wonder how that happened. You know, these kids get a leg up on all that. So it's really fun to be part of that process. And Andrew, I mean, you know, you picked up a split board as a sophomore in co- in high school, you know what I mean? But for me, it, like, took till I mean, I was out of college for two years before I really had, like, a good touring setup that I wanted to go walk on all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, just hearing about that program, though, that sounds extremely valuable, especially if you want to pursue uh, a career or just yeah. a sport. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting. I think some of the kids run with it, and some of it don't. In terms of our alumni, um, they say that again. They what? Some of them run with it, and some yeah. of them don't. You know, like some of them kind of go back to the lives they had before. But I think they they leave it very changed as people. But in terms of like using a backcountry skill set all the time, I'm not sure how much of that always carries through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have it, you know, while they're there, and they get to experience a lot of really cool things in the winter, and obviously. I'm a huge proponent of wandering around in the snow in the mountains. So, mm-hmm. How long have you been doing it now? Uh, this is my third year working yeah. for them. So in the past two, I've been pretty minimally involved. And this year, I'll be there like close to full time. So, hmm. Which is good. Where are these kids coming from? Uh, a lot of them come from the East Coast. Um, so, and, and for a lot of them, it's an opportunity to kind of experience winter out west. Mm-hmm. So, And we have more spots, so RidgeMountainAcademy.com. Check it out. Cool. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> One thing we should definitely talk about is I'm pretty excited um, about, you know, with David and Andrew on this trip because Sai uh, and I introduced these two guys to Super Burrito. And this is basically <laughs> yeah. a litmus test for me. Like, if you are out on Super Burrito, you are out of my life, I think. Like, that's kind of where we're at. And uh, David, I tonight was his first. Andrew's been there now a couple times. Uh, this was David's first experience. And he sort of, the, the large eyes and kind of incredulous, you know, look at how big these burritos were. It was, it was great. Like, you definitely yeah. passed. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, you just... 
the fact that they're super burrito was like <coughs> it's the super supreme. Super supreme. The super supreme. The super supreme would be a large burrito in and of itself, but they add a chili relleno to the inside of yes. it. Yes. So it's you. If you look at the thing, it, you know it's not like it's not one you can like curl your hand around. You need two hands. You need two hands. For comparison, looking at your water bottle, it's about the size yeah. of one liter Nalgene. It, yeah, yeah, it really. I mean, is. Honestly, the Nalgene's a little skinny. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the greatest thing ever. I mean, I I can't. We've eaten there every night that we've been here, and so this was night three. Yeah, and maybe like night nine or ten lifetime for you and I. Yeah. It's just, it's like, every time I go, it's better. I just, like, it's more incredible and amazing, and I feel more grateful that it's in my life. And I still am proud of the fact, like, we actually wrote about Super Burrito in our buyer's guide. And, like, it's just all been underscored again that we were not wrong. So and we've had some other people tell us to go other places. Is those, that... those people are wrong. Wags on Instagram. <clears throat> no, those people are just wrong. I don't, I can't even... It's... It, it super here's a here's a little spoiler something um, you know we were talking about the new blister pro there is a shout out to super burrito on the new blister pro so you might want to start saving your money yeah that's true you won't have to save much though because I think we spent like thirty bucks amongst the four yeah they're of like us. it's it's like it's seven cheap, it's, too. that's the it's unbelievable it. it's all the best thing ever basically and my favorite thing about Andrew is he keeps. <laughs> <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's fully in on them like they've got some very hot salsa kind of options and if you roughly hypothesize that it goes from mild to hot left to right yeah at the at the like chips <laughs> bar that they have and um andrew's all in on this super hot salsa and he's just yeah like can't get enough and it's like kind of this weird battle of like this really is painful and burning <laughs> but i I want more and it's the super so. burrito cleanse. Super burrito cleanse. Keep keep doing you, super burrito, and um, yeah, uh, I can't believe we'll be there tomorrow night. And we will. There's a million. <laughs> anybody? Yeah, yeah. If you want to find us, yeah. If you want to find us, uh, we will. We will be at Mount Bachelor or sleeping at Wall Street Suites or at Super Burrito. It's really, which is conveniently located. Less than two blocks from Wall Street Suites. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty close. So, yeah, God bless you, Super Burrito. Is that like the major selling point for staying here? Yep. I mean, I think there's all kinds of good reasons, but that's it's definitely one of them. <laughs> you can walk back with your Super Burrito, and it would still be hot. Yeah, it's true. Enjoy it. Be, the it my arms would get tired carrying. <laughs> anyway. It's not. It's they're not lightweight. No, it, oh, it's it, literally like. like Fill a Nalgene with burrito stuff and dump it all into your face as quickly as possible. Uh, wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I savor I mine. I, could, I couldn't go fast. No. I savor mine. That's worth savoring. Anyway. Well, I think, um, I think we can wrap, uh, <laughs> having, having gotten our ode to super burrito out. That's um, a terrible pun. Ode to super burrito? Wrap. Oh, no, wrap up. Um, but yeah, um, so, well, you now had a chance to uh, hear more from Andrew Forward and David Steele and Cy Whitling, and um, we are going to go ski more deep pow at Bachelor tomorrow, and then we are going to go back and dine again at Super Burrito, and um, yeah, that's kind of how we roll, I guess. It's pretty pretty good right now. So um, 
we will uh, we'll talk to you guys later. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Many thanks to David, Andrew, and Cy for the conversation, and to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, who has to get up in less than five hours at 3.45 a.m. to go do patrol work. You're a good man, J-Bob. Thanks also to Breckenridge Distillery for sponsoring this episode. Go to BreckenridgeDistillery.com to check out their offerings and to learn more about their new restaurant that just opened. And till next time, head over to BlisterReview.com to see what we're up to there, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>